what I've seen, and I know we're going to go somewhere different with this, but what I've seen is this uh, the CRTC decision to deny Bell and a number of other organizations who've kind of formed a group, uh, kind of this sort of advanced power over privacy. And that's the headline that I saw flying past me. So I thought it might be useful to start with kind of what is the CRTC's role in copyright enforcement in Canada? Yeah, so I, when I read the decision uh, from the, the uh, CRTC, I, I actually understood it that the, the collective of broadcasters and web owners were actually trying to get um, a website up or, or a technology up to block infringing content. So not so much privacy as it was illegal uh, you know, use of other people's content, you know, what we call piracy uh, in, in the con- copyright world. And so what you know they were trying to do was get CRTC really to step outside of its traditional mandate, which is a regulator of content and of rates uh, for the broadcast industry and the telecom industry, and get it to step into the copyright world. Um, we have a copyright board, and it also doesn't deal with infringement. Um, it deals with um, tariffs for the use of, of other people's content in, in, a, in a legal context. So what we've had in, in Canada forever, and in most countries in the world, are both civil and criminal um, private rights of action, um, where the, the, the rights owners who you know, have the, infr- the content infringed um, c- collectively or individually go to court. And so they either sue or they try and get the police involved. Um, in our copyright law in Canada, we have both. You can take a criminal action, but it's very difficult. Having been a pirate buster myself, I can tell you extremely difficult to get the police involved, and they only do it really if there's a criminal in, who has a rap sheet already and they're using it as, as you know, a, a way to, to bring that person you know, into the justice system. So we generally um, have formed collectives in Canada. We go back uh, to the early 1920s with the composers forming the first collective, uh, which was called SOCAN. And since then, just about every kind of rights group um, has formed a content rights group has formed a collective. So we've got them for, we've got can copy for book publishers, and we have, well, just a myriad of them. And I think in the music industry alone, because we have Quebec has separate ones, we have about six music rights collectives that go out there and look for pirated material and take action. Right. And I've seen, I mean, if you, uh, as a, for instance, if you go to a bar, and you're being served, and you look behind the bartender, you can often see like the SOCAN license to play sticker somewhere saying that they've worked through this collective, and they're paying a fee for a tariff, and that gives them the right to play copyrighted music in their establishment. Right, because it's a commercial establishment, right, right. which is different than playing it at home. Yeah. But, so we've got this kind of tiered, I don't know if tiered is the right word, but there's a system under which kind of there's regular folk yeah. who access this music through the radio where they hear it at the bar, they hear it in a store, they hear it in the mall. Then there's these collectives that uh, basically allow people to pay money for tariffs that give them the right to play all this music that we're hearing in these various places. Right, or to incorporate it into a film or to um, you know, make multiple copies on campus for, right. for um, pu- you know, publications they want to use, etc. So yeah, depending on what the content is, uh, somebody somewhere. If you're if you're using content or seeing content in public, chances are somebody is getting a li- has a license and somebody's paying. Right. For it. Uh, and then there's there's a fuzzy part that I'll get to in a second. And then there's the CRTC, which is I feel like it's more of kind of a regulator of sort of 
the infrastructure of it all. Correct. Uh, so they give you they give a radio station a license to be a radio station, but they're not responsible for the licensing of the content of the radio station. No, except that in the, you know in Canada we decided um, that it was really important to have Canadian content. So they regulate they put some rules around those licenses. Um, and so they have a certain um, minimum amount of Canadian content that right. has to be produced, for example. But they don't actually regula regulate um, things like infringement of content. And the fuzzy bit in the middle that mm -hmm. I don't quite understand is, is sort of Bell, uh, mm -hmm. as they seem to be kind of the public face of this, mm -hmm. this group. They're now getting more involved in terms of saying we want to set up do th and, and do things to block infringers. Right. And so interestingly, there was um, a collective of the web um, service providers back in the late uh, 19, like some sort of, I would say 1995 through to um, sometime, I think the group disbanded in some somewhere in the 2000s. Uh, it was called the Canadian Association of Internet Providers, and I was actually part of that. I was actually chair for a while, and we formed this collective exactly for th reasons like this, uh, which was that collectively we were all experiencing challenges with content. Um, some of it, you know, very illegal um, and criminal and nasty. And so we wanted a whole bunch of rules about, first of all, what ISPs would do, um, and then what the content owner could do. We came up with a kind of a, a, what we called notice and notice. So in in the United States, they were doing something already, um, being that much ahead of us in the internet, uh, called notice and takedown. So basically, I would give an ISP notice that their my infringe my music is being infringed on a particular website. And basically, they took me at my word in the United States, and they took it down. And that caused them, of course, some problems as well, um, because something that might not actually be true, and the, what kind of proof was required to say it was mine, and all of those kinds of issues. So we decided, um, and there was also the issue of privacy, and maybe this is where the confusion comes in. If I um, I, I can't. I, if I want to deal with a, a website, I have to know who's who owns that website, and I can't deal with them directly. So I have to go through my ISP. But ISPs had you know locked lips about who their customers were, and so they didn't want to disclose to any old third party who would show up saying you know I have a right and this guy's infringing it, um, because that would be sharing their customer information. So um, they they had. We came up with something called notice and notice, which was basically you tell the ISP you got a problem, and the ISP will tell the owner of the website. And if they think that they have a right to be using that, then they they come back with their information of what, what how they got the right to use that piece of content and you know why it's not they're not going to take it down. Notice and notice worked really well in Canada. We we didn't have then any of the problems about you know, disclosing customer information. People generally took them down because they didn't know. There was so much content in the internet, it's very hard for an ISP um, or a website owner even. Some website owners are liable for it because they've put the content up, but for an ISP to know whether or not content on somebody's website is legal or not would be impossible. So that worked for a while um, as a voluntary method. And then in 2012, when the Copyright Act was amended, um, that went into actual formal law. So that's actually what Bell and Rogers are trying to do, but in, in the, um, the, the system they were trying to set up through the CRTC was actually a notice and notice system. 
um, which you know basically sa says internet providers have the right to remove or block access to content uh, upon receiving notice. Right. So it was pretty straightforward. They just didn't want to have to do it themselves, and they didn't have a collective to do it, and they thought the CRTC should, or it should at least allow them to create a technology means of doing it. Okay. Um, and then they they basically said, uh, you know, no, I guess you know what you've got going now is is good enough. It's in law. You can form a collective to do it if you want and do it yourselves, um, the way other rights groups have done it. Um, but uh, we're not going to start taking on uh, or l allowing you to have some sort of hyper um, rights, uh, you know, to deal with infringement. So the CRTC's take was kind of this is be out of out of scope for us to say yes or no to. Yeah, I, th I think that's that's really what it comes down to. Um, they've never been in the infringement world, and they're not about to step into it. Right. Uh, so as someone who's been involved in this in the past, I guess my my natural curiosity, my, my curious question is, why do they care? I mean, if if uh, if you build a road, mm -hmm. sort of you're kind of agnostic as to whether the traffic on that road is criminal or not criminal. So if you own the pipe, why why do they feel obliged to be involved in what traffic is going through the pipe? I'm not sure why they want to be. Maybe they just feel that they lack the tools, um, you know, to do it effectively. Um, right. And because I, I mean, the last thing on earth we certainly wanted as a collective of ISPs was to be in any way liable, and there, there was a case that went all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada, basically about common carrier liability, whether or not if you were just the pipe, whether you would be liable for the content, and it ruled in favor of the ISPs. It said no, if if you're not actually aggregating the content yourself, uh, then you are in just the pipe then you're not liable. The second, then there's a lot of hybrid, right? So a lot of ISPs are also website right. creators and owners and builders and, you know, whatever. So the second that you move into the content creation side, well, then you're wearing a different hat and then you could be. So I think also all of these companies are such hybrids now. I mean, right. So it may be that from their content side and their content creation side, they also, they want to protect their own content and they want to block illegal content. So there's a certain amount of they may in fact own IP that they want to protect and that they're trying to facilitate the means of protection mm -hmm. uh, through this this method that they've mm -hmm. devised. But, and, of but of course the world is completely international you know, right. in terms of the internet and where most of the infringement is taking place. Well, I was so. going to say, we've been talking about this in a Canadian mm -hmm. context, but you're right, it's, it's an international issue. My internet access is not Canadian, my internet access is global. So how how is this affected by international treaties and international agreements? It's terribly difficult um, <laughs> because uh, either the copyright laws, although very similar because of treaties, which basically are, are that, they're kind of normative setting um, guidelines for countries to, f to form their, their laws around some s agreed upon principles. But, you know, there's wrinkles in every one. So the Canadian copyright law is slightly different than the U.S. in, in a number of ways. And then, um, you know, the treaties are not always ratified by all the countries in the world, so not everybody's playing by the same rules. But generally, over this, the last hundred years, um, it's been fairly well harmonized. Interestingly, we've just formed another treaty, um, and that's with Canada, or with the U.S. and Mexico. And there was some issues around copyright that had to be harmonized. Right. Uh, one of them was the length of copyright. Yeah, we it, things are longer now. Yeah, right? we expanded to seventy years. It was fifty in Canada. It's life of the author plus plus seventy years now, which gives you know the owners you know more protection. 
but the other one was actually um, the notice and notice story. Um, we d we d do not have the same regime as I was mentioning um, as the U.S. They have notice and takedown still in their law, and we got an exemption, and we are allowed to continue with our notice and notice, um, s which is you know actually fantastic because right. it's really working. I don't know if it's working in the states. I really can't speak. Uh, but I've been, you know, in-house counsel in an ISP and been involved right in the front end of getting a notice and what, what we do with it. And I've been you know, involved with a lot of content owners trying to protect their, their rights and, and what, as far as I'm concerned, we have a good, pretty good regime. I mean, the problem is that, you know, when the infringement is taking place offshore, you really have very few tools. So I think there's sort of a pervasive understanding that things are different nation to nation. And this idea that there are different rules in different places. So if you have got something that originated in this place, different rules apply. Copyright happens in the country that things start from, right? Where the creator you know, right. you know, has, has made whatever it is, what piece of content they've, they've created is, is the origin of the copyright. But the interesting thing about the internet, it brought on, I would call the era of technological measures to actually address um, infringement. We really can't do it with laws super inefficient to try and sue somebody. Um, so what's really happened is that people try to lock down their content with tools. Right. You know, so you can't get access to content that's, you know, people uh, probably are most familiar with it with Netflix because you, yeah. c you can't get content that's not licensed for Canada on Canadian Netflix. Um, it's just, just the way the rules work and, and technology permits that, you know, to happen. Napster being the, one of the more fascinating stories about, um, you know, the sort of the genesis of, of these technology tools and the difference between Canada and U.S. Right. copyright law. Because if Napster had actually been in Canada, they wouldn't have been guilty of anything. Really? Yes, because we have in something in the United States called contributory infringement. So the fact that it was a website that allowed people to file share um, in the United States was contributing to the infringement and therefore they were liable. But if they'd been in Canada and they'd set up their service on the Canadian server and, and been a Canadian company, we don't have contributory infringement, and they would have just been that kind of common carrier. They put the technology there, and they allowed people to file share, and they weren't actually doing the copying. Right. So um, that's that's been you know an interesting thing to watch as well. And I think I mean I think we could talk for days about this. Like I mean I, I think uh, one of the things I I kind of understand about this is it sort of matters where the data resides. So if I have a website, I'm sitting here in my office in Canada, I make my website in Canada, but it's hosted by Squarespace and the actual servers in LA. So that's now a US law thing around the data because that's where the server is? Still probably a little bit unsettled law. Okay. Um, because it, it's really hard to say. Um, sometimes it's where it's been uploaded right. from. Um, you know, and this, this goes into, you know, satellite uh, law, you know, that was the first kind of upload and download um, copyright cases. I don't think we have enough body of law yet about whether the law of the server applies or not. There's, you know, cases on both sides of it. Right. Uh, anyway, I mean, it's, it's again, like, yeah. it's fascinating pads off in all directions. But back to the core kind of idea of there was a consortium that wanted to implement new anti-piracy measures and the CRTC said no. Is there anything we kind of haven't covered there that we should unpack a little bit? 
Well, I guess I'm just going to circle back and say, you know, the thing about Napster is it was created in a vacuum before all of the music companies could get together and create their own aggregate site. Right. And, and so there was something called the Madison Project. Um, IBM was, was actually had all of the music companies on board into this project, and they were trying to, to c come up with their own Napster. Um, before N Napster appeared on on the scene, um, and they had challenges trying to get those music pieces licensed from the composers because right. they were individually licensed in all different countries, and people weren't willing to give up their royalties. And so, by the time they got all the legal stuff worked out, they lost the, the window of opportunity to go to the public with an offering. You saw a little better job when it came to um, iTunes. Right. Uh, when when they finally got you know some act together, but that's such a small part of what music is actually being consumed on the internet. I think I don't know. I've, I've heard somewhere between one and ten percent of the music is actually paid for on the on the internet. So we now have a whole generation of people who believe that it's okay to infringe anyone's content. That content's free, and I think we have you know some major challenges for creators you right. know, as a result. Sorry, when you're saying one to ten percent is actually paid for, does that one to ten percent also include like streaming, like Spotify, Google mm -hmm. Play? Mm -hmm. That's oh wow, that yeah. is that is very different yeah. than I thought. Yeah. So oh. the illegal is far outclipsed in the in the decades that ensued since Napster. Right. It's just grown as opposed to shrunk, and so um, part of that is there's been the resistance, I think, to use the technology tools, you know, to stop people from right. actually getting access to content. So, um, and you know, in part that is because people got so used to being able to get it. So now it's viewed as, well, we'll release some of it for free because, you know, that's, this will build a fan base or, you know, whatever. But it is, I've represented many musicians in the interim and it's very hard. You know, your, your income is extremely dispersed now. Yep. You might make a few bucks on, on each of the websites that you put your songs on, but you're not making the kinds of money you used to get with, right. with mass sales of records and I, so i guess the the last question for me would be i mean um bell and al have sort of put together a consortium and said this is something we want to do and the crtc has said not really our bailiwick to say yes or no to this so we're not going to say yes to it but they're clearly not going to give up so where do you sort of go from here what well, I where would they take this do think that they can just do it okay <laughs> As Nike would say, right? <laughs> I think they, you know, they. I mean, they did have a mechanism before as a collective um, to take, you know, collective action, uh, because obviously one company doing it on its own is is again not really the answer. But but they are they could, you know, f create, you know, the, either the, with the group they have now or expand their collective, and uh, and and do it themselves. You've been very generous with your time, so I don't want to get into another whole thing if this is another whole thing. But is this is net neutrality plug into this argument at this point, or is that a, is that a sort of a different ball of wax? It's a very different ball of wax. Okay, that's really about access to the net internet, right. right? Well, I mean, I guess it does play in in that people are talking about walled gardens of, yeah. of creating again technologies um, limited access for you know co content. Um, I, I don't think we've got, you know, enough uh, to, and we, I don't think we figured any of this out well enough yet. Right. Um, <laughs> just think it's, you know, it's sometimes happening fa much faster than all the existing mechanisms that are in place can, can react to it. Well, we may have to check in again at some point soon about this.
or start a spinoff podcast. But for now, thank you very much, Margo. It was a pleasure to be here, Matt. <laughs>